What's good, y'all? It's January Garcia here, bringing you another piping hot episode of the Slam Richmond Podcast. We have four artists for you this evening, some rap from Tayor, a song from Mansell, a newcomer named Elliot, and our featured artist, poet and storyteller Lydia Armstrong. Our first performer, Tayor, brings a smooth classic rap style to the Richmond scene, and we love the two pieces he shared with us this time. One song about his son, and another about black legends, present and past. Let's get the show started with Tayor on the mic. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy as far as I can. Son, son, you ain't nothing but the truth. Five years old, you lost your first tooth. You my road dog, you my co-pilot. Your engine brand new, low mileage. You my big boy, you my little man. I know you feel me, you just too young to comprehend. School tomorrow, but I'll let you stay up all night. To the grave, I love you more than life. You the reason I do what I do. It's all for you, cause you my dude. You ain't even three, four, but before you was three, yo. I had you nice from the free throw. Now I mean, yo, sharpshooter. We a team, yo. You the student, I'm the tutor. You daddy's valedictorian. You graduated. I'm glad you made it. I love you, man. Rest in peace. Martin Luther, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey. Wish I could have got my smoke on with Cheech and Chong and Bob Marley. I can't even frown on the Beatles. Shout out to Paul McCartney. Dr. J was my favorite ball player than Charles Barkley. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, I'm Ali. He made them doves cry. Prince, Rogers, Nelson, R.I.P. We ain't forget you, Marvin. Michael, we miss you, Whitney. Big L and Pun, Left Eye, Aaliyah, Tupac, and Biggie. The real kings of comedy are Red Fox and Richard Pryor. Tell you a legend in the game, cause I spit their earth, wind, and fire. Graybeards, 40 and above club at Wimbledon, from Arthur Ashe to Serena Williams, it's all love. Career's been amazing, all y'all been an inspiration. And when I'm dead and gone, don't mourn, we all born to die, have a celebration. Maybe I can touch someone's heart and soul like you did mine. I'm Nelson Mandela behind these 16 bars, I did time. Thank you. Thank you, Tayor. We appreciate what you do. Next on the mic, we have a song for you, as Monsell departed from his usual rap repertoire to bring us an R&B cover. Monsell was shy about his singing talents initially. We were absolutely delighted by his rendition of The Best Part by Her. Let's listen. You don't look bad. Why you hold back? Kiss me slowly, it's the sweetest thing, yeah. And it don't change. If I had it my way, you would know that you are. Ooh, coffee that I need in the morning. You're my sunshine in the rain when it's pouring, yes. Give yourself to me, give it all. 
I just wanna see, I just wanna see how beautiful you are, yes. You know that I see it, I know you're a star. Where you go, I follow, no matter how far. If life is a movie, though you're the best part. Oh, oh, oh you're the best part, yes. Is there sunrise in those brown eyes, yes. You're the one that I desire. When we wake up and we make love, it makes me feel so nice. You're my water when I'm stuck in the desert. You're the talent all I take when my head hurts. You're the sunshine of my life. I just wanna see how beautiful you are. You know that I see it. I know you're a star. Where you go, I follow, no matter how far. If life is a movie, then you're the best part. Oh, oh, oh you're the best part. Oh, best part. That's right. Thanks, Monsell. That was beautiful. Next on our lineup, we wanted to bring you a newcomer to the scene who goes by Elliot. This was only Elliot's second time at the open mic, but we really liked how he's bringing the big questions to his poems. So we wanted to pass it along. So please welcome Elliot. A writer's prayer. Dear God, creator of the universe, you speak to me in many different ways, but mostly through signs that I see in books and words and things that appear right when I need them to. Dear God, creator of the universe, I personally find that to be a much more efficient way of interpreting your will than to, say, read scripture, which really just comes across as a bunch of rules and stories that are often contradictory and confusing, not to mention that much of it has been disproven. But God, creator of the universe, why can't you just appear out of nowhere or set a bush on fire or something like that and answer all the questions we have? If you can move the mountains, impregnate a virgin, and raise the dead and all that, why can't you show up in my living room right now in plain words of what exactly it is you want me to do with my life? Dear God, creator of the universe, is it just me? Am I thinking too much, expecting too much, this or that too much, or do I just not know how to listen? Dear God, creator of the universe, lead me not into temptation. Lead me to the place you have chosen for my home. Help me get past that little voice in my, said that my, in my head that says, you're not good enough, you're too old, you're not whatever. No one will ever want to play with you again. Give it up now, blah, blah, blah. Dear God, creator of the universe, OCD and autism are nasty beasts, which kind of makes me wonder why you created them. Are they sinful or more pure than we know? Skepticism is my natural inclination. Do you forgive me for that, for questioning things? Can we overcome our nature? Do our natural inclinations, be they sinful or not, come from you? How is it that so many people can seem to accept you and be bountiful in that acceptance, but many cannot? And which you is true? Dear God, creator of the universe, 
Teach me how to be open to you and to other people. Teach me to be open to others. Teach me how to speak. Show me my voice. I want you. Show me the way. Dear God, creator of the universe, thank you for giving me everything you have so far. Thank you for whatever may come in the future, as I'm sure some kind of good will be found in it. Amen. Chiasmus. My mind empty. I sit alone. The emptiness of the world surrounds, raping and fulfilling me. I loathe it and I love it. I hate it the way a person who's never been alone finds his heart crying out for his partner, empowered but unsure, but also unfamiliar, heightened and emerging, longing for the unstable but familiar embrace of chaos known in the mind once upon a time, longing also for freedom from that chaos to be found someday in a dream. I love it the way a person embraces the new, the thrill of charging headfirst into the future, the path ahead yet to be written, open-ended new possibilities unfolding before their eyes, not to be stifled, not fully indulged, but a person becoming alive and awake at once. My mind still, turning inward, fulfillment all will be found, promises kept, loneliness broken, evidence all around. Thank you. Thank you, Elliot. We hope to see you next time. And now to our feature. Lydia Armstrong has brought so much to our Slam Richmond community with her poetry and writing workshops and mentorship. So we're really glad to have her feature. Lydia writes powerful stories with vivid perspectives that are still able to remain grounded in the real world. So now prepare to be enthralled by Lydia Armstrong. I feel exactly like I did when I was 15. Perpetual misfit, like I physically don't fit in the world, so I live in my head. I can be the only person in a crowded room if I just don't make eye contact. At 15, I was invisible in your classrooms, and now I'm invisible in your workplace. The interviewer says, what are your salary requirements? And I say, I want to buy tickets to the symphony. He says, if I hire you, what do you bring to the table? And I say, truth. And he says, I don't sell truth. Sometimes it's like I'm not a part of anything. And sometimes I feel so flooded with connections, I have to turn it off. Sometimes it's like everything I encounter is so meaningful. The world is so beautiful. It scares me. I sort of wish I was that type of eclipse where you need special sunglasses to filter out the brilliance. That way you don't have to look at me directly. Right now, I'm not a person, I'm a poem. When I want to connect with someone, I tell a story. I post a selfie on Instagram because the only thing that I know how to offer of myself is a representation. I don't know how to measure my own success, so I do poetry slams. And I can't win poetry slams because the judges like Jesus poems. And I can't win life because the interviewer says, he doesn't sell truth. I want a place in the world that doesn't require special sunglasses. I want the brilliance out and for people to look at it directly. I want to buy tickets to the symphony and be so floored by its beauty, I have to turn it off, but instead I turn it up, way up, and let it wash over me like a flood of connections I'm dying to make and drown. 
So I've been in a lot of really shitty relationships with really shitty people. <laughs> and most recently, I was in a relationship with someone who was not shitty. He was actually really awesome, uh, and he broke up with me. So I wrote this poem during happier times, but in the current context, it's probably going to sound like really sad, uh, and I might cry while I'm reading it. So just like be warned, but I'm okay. I'm just going to poet through it. Don says, the way I see it, I'm grateful to have someone that makes me feel this way. We finger punch text messages from our respective work days. His is in Chicago, in a building that used to manufacture coffins. Mine is on the East Coast, surrounded by upholstered cubicle walls that look like carpet. The way I see it, I say, this is all just temporary and one day you'll live here. And Don says, I want that. I try to tell him about the vacuum in my chest, how missing him is a hole full of movement, how I can feel it churning like a whirlpool, and all I can think of are twisters and black holes and how my heart feels like it's spinning. He says he's grateful for the emptiness, exalted to have someone to make him feel this kind of sadness. We are so lucky, we say, to be able to feel so much nothing and everything at the same time. I tell him about the magnetic poles of my heart, how falling in love with him is like drifting in space without a spacesuit, my insides filling with wonder at the vastness of the universe around me, even as my body drains itself of oxygen and chokes. One day all our pieces will come together, I say, and we gaze upon our future like a meteor threatening the Earth's sky, too far off to make out the impact, but coming. I've been experimenting with writing creative nonfiction. So uh, for me, that means personal essays. This is a shorter one of those that hopefully won't be too long for you guys. That is more or less about my current relationship with my father. And it's called Moonshine. My dad stores his moonshine in my refrigerator. He brews it in a shed behind his house on the Potomac River two hours north of where I live in Richmond, Virginia. His father built the house, small and made of cinder blocks, in the 1950s when my father was a child. My father lives there now, retired at his family's old summer home, surrounded by water and cornfields. I know you don't brew moonshine exactly, but that is what it looks like. Dad built a still using instructions he found on the internet. The grain boils, brews, extracting the alcohol and depositing it drop by drop into a container waiting below the beaker. The contraption looks like something you might find in a mad scientist lab, the kind of scientist shunned by the scientific community for atrocities against nature, the kind who builds his own equipment from household items he has dismantled and repurposed. My father's refrigerator at home on the river is always full. There are jugs of orange juice, leftovers, plastic containers of cut fruit, rows of medicine bottles containing clear liquid, his daily doses of methadone. My father is on a take-home program with the VA hospital. 
After 19 years of successfully administering himself the methadone without incident or relapse, he can be trusted to take home a month's supply at a time. He doesn't have room, he says, for the moonshine. A dozen large glass jars of it, sweetened with apple juice and cinnamon. Dad drives two hours to the VA hospital in Richmond each month to collect his doses. He also comes every few weeks to see his oncologist and have his numbers tested and have a different type of chemical pumped into his veins, chemotherapy. Sometimes when he has an appointment, he comes the day before and sleeps on my couch. He used to ask when he first started doing this, is there room at the inn? His text messages would read. I always said yes. How do you say no to the one person who never says no to you? I shouldn't say never. It wasn't always like that. There are two versions of my father, the person he was before the methadone and the person he became after. The person he was before the methadone said no to me sometimes. When there was no food in the house and my brother came home with Subway and made my stomach rumble for cold cuts. This is always the example I remember when I think about the ways we did without. Asking my father for $5 to go to Subway and the anger in him over parting with money that could be made into heroin. How angry he got when we, my brother and I, teenagers, went through the two liters of soda he brought home too quickly. He was furious. I was in my 20s before I realized that those two liters cost money. Money my father had spent and would have to spend again if we drank them too quickly. And to my father, all money was drugs. We were drinking his smack. Sometimes I feel it in myself, too. The way being intoxicated changes your character. When I'm drinking too much, when I'm drinking too often or have drank too much, I feel the rot creep in, all the parts of me that are decayed and poisoned and ugly. The anger, the sadness, the deep, deep hurt. Sometimes when I am drunk, I cry or I'm mean. Sometimes it's like every wound in me is reopened spilling their infection inside me, I am drowning from the inside. When my father was on drugs, he used to come home late at night and confess to me. I would be awake on the living room couch watching Soul Train or a late night talk show, everyone else in the house asleep. My mother slept on a bunk bed in my room as she had since I was five. I was 17 now, kicked out of my room each night when my mother was ready to turn in camped out in the living room writing poems about insomnia when my father would come in the door at one or two in the morning, high. He told me about being beaten as a child by his adoptive mother, how he had watched friends die in Vietnam, the time a tiger dragged his buddy into the jungle and ate him, my father and his platoon unable to shoot without alerting the enemy of their position, stories of cruelty, abuse, hardship. His voice trembled as he looked up from his folded hands and asked, if that happened to you, wouldn't you be fucked up too? Sometimes he told me what he had done that night, the sort of things he was involved in, stories I won't put into print until he has died and could not be prosecuted, things you do not share with your teenage daughter, images her mind does not need in order to understand that there is danger and hurt and want in the world. Sometimes the phone was disconnected because the bill had not been paid, 
and my brother and I would walk across the street to the payphone to call our friends. Sometimes the water or gas, which my father knew how to turn back on without paying the bill. He bought meager groceries at discount food marts, stale yellow cheese product, grayish lunch meats. Then my mother left, packed up her belongings, and moved in with her sister to begin a new life. I was 19, my brother 20. We were old enough, she reasoned, to fend for ourselves now. The house was in foreclosure, the mortgage not paid for months, a year maybe. His life in ruins, wife and house gone. My father joined the methadone program for veterans and was reborn. In the two decades after the methadone, my father learned to say yes. He began building motorcycles, taught himself leather craft, how to make cigar box guitars with working electrical ports. He became kind, reliable, generous. He helped me make ends meet when money was tight, fixed my various old junk cars when they broke, built me custom furniture for my apartment when I couldn't find the right pieces at thrift stores. He gave. He gives still. Although now he is hairless and toothless, delicate skin caving into his mouth, skinny arms and legs, tired and weak and dizzy from chemo and medications. He builds less, works less, creates less. At some point, he stopped asking if he could sleep on my couch. Most of the time now, he just tells me he will be in town and lets me assume he'll be staying over. Sometimes I have plans and won't be home till late. Sometimes I'm annoyed because I was looking forward to an evening at home alone and quiet. My brother has a guest room with an actual bed, but my father says he feels more welcome on my couch. I feel myself becoming less welcoming as the sleepovers increase, but then I remember he is coming to replace the broken power window motor on the driver's side of my truck, came special to give me rides to work when the truck was in the shop, to take me to the airport last summer, still helps me pay for things I cannot afford loan, even though I'm 38 now and should probably be able to. I remember he's the one person I can always call no matter what I need, no matter how ill or tired he is, and he will find a way to help me. Of course, my couch is his. He helped me buy it. I find myself pulling away from him, dreading his visits, texting only when I need something. I have not made the trip to his house on the river in six months. I chalk this up to a baby bird leaving the nest, becoming an adult, readying for her own life. I have a boyfriend. We want to live together, marry one day. But my father is forgetful sometimes, confused, repeats himself. The cancer, which began in his prostate and has spread to his lungs and bones, is in his spine. I worry it could travel to his brainstem, that his absent-mindedness is more than old age. I worry that I am avoiding him because I am losing him, because I no longer recognize the man who has been my best friend for nearly 20 years. I worry that I am a terrible person. The moonshine is for sale. My father does not drink, not since he got clean 19 years ago. The still was another hobby he picked up in healthier days and continues to put around with. The jars have sat in my refrigerator since the new year, unsold. It is nearly summer now, and I would like to fill the space with bags of fresh vegetables from the farmer's market. I think about asking my father if he has any customers, if he'd like the shine back, 
I say nothing. We get the TV on when I leave for work in the morning so he doesn't have to fumble with my foreign remote control trying to figure out how to work it. I leave the living room lamp on for him. I tell him not to come early to fix my window motor because I think it's going to rain. And then I tell him it looks like the clouds have passed and the rain will hold. Come. All right, I'll follow that up with a short one. This is called When I Pray to My Dead Dogs. When I pray to my dead dogs, what I want to know is, do they know that I love them? That I'm sorry for losing my temper when they pulled on the leash and barked at the neighbors and nearly got me evicted? Do they know I saw the purity of their love and tried to mimic it with hearty beef treats and toys shaped like things of mine they stole? But I came up short, haunted by those deep, shining brown eyes regarding me from their spot on the carpet, saying, it's okay. This is about one of the shittier boyfriends. It's called The Stretch. Sometimes I go to bed at night with one arm folded under my pillow, crook of creamy inner elbow exposed, the other arm flung across the empty width of the bed, legs splayed like a starfish. I have all this space here because you are not. Makes me think of those last years my cousin and I played with Barbies in earnest. I was 11 and she was 12, hanging off the edge of her bed while I dressed Barbie for a date. And she said she only slept on one side to train herself for when she was married. My cousin, preparing for the day she would share her life in mattress, something I am slow to learn to do. I am 36 now, and she is 37, and we are both alone. Sometimes I am pinned in shape by my cats, the ornery one who hisses when I graze her, and the sweet one whose warmth I crave on my feet, who gets up in the middle of the night and disappears when I disturb her. At dawn, they come mewling for breakfast, and I kick them from bed, my legs winged in tossed bedsheets, pressing my face towards the dark crevice between pillows where sleep lives. I slept better with you holding me. You said it was because I worried about you drinking with the middle-aged barflies, stuck in a row to flypaper bar stools, hunched over their nectar, the way insects curl inward when they're dying. You said I needed to relax. But it wasn't the bar flies or the thread of cocaine in their pockets or the gritty sleeping bag like a cocoon the nights you couldn't get behind the wheel. Not the sadness lurking in your sunrise bedtimes or the fear of your reckless freedom or what you would find out there. No. It was more like the calm that cows feel in a cattle crush, how squeezing them between metal bars makes the inoculation easier like your hard steel arms steadying me for the way I will make space in my life and your own stretch of mattress like a vaccination against loneliness. We go for Italian and take walks to the park where we sit on a bench and watch cars hesitate at the roundabout. You tell me the ways you are better now and how many days it's been since your last beer. There's a smoothness in your skin I have not seen before, not even in pictures. 
I let you walk me to my door and hug me in front of my neighbors before I go inside and stand in front of the mirror watching my hands rub soap on my face in circles. The cats are on the bed waiting for me, the ornery one with her paws tucked under her ribs, and the sweet one stretched across the foot watching me pull back the blanket. The screen on my phone lights up and says, thank you, I had a really good time tonight, and I slip under the covers my elbow nudging the cat who hates to be touched and she scatters, leaving me room to open my arms and see there is no space for you here after all. I like to pull this one out when I'm at a reading where there's a lot of like um, middle-aged white people doing poems about their gardens. <laughs> You'll see why in a second. <laughs> it's called Fortress. I live in a fortress, but there are a lot of books here. I count lock checks to fall asleep at night. Some days, I only talk to my cat. I stop going to my mother's house because it doesn't feel like home. My dad's house has too many cobwebs. All I can remember are the moments I was impatient. All I can remember is losing my temper. I can't forgive myself for letting go without saying goodbye. No one really likes me. Nothing is real. I only say what I really feel because the truth burns up my insides. This is just a screen test. My real life is playing on a projector screen in my head. My real life is happening in a magazine. I live in a vortex, but there are a lot of books here. I can stack them like bricks and build walls. The first person I talk to every morning is my cat. She's not a person, but she's a good substitute. I fucked up last time, but I'll do better with this one. This time I won't be so angry. This time I'll smile. When I get lonely, I pretend I have a friend over, but I don't answer the phone when they call. The invisible version is better. Maybe that's just what I think of myself. I'm not a person, but I'm a good substitute. My insides are battery acid, and I'm leaking all over your fingers. I can't crack my shell without burning people. I can't touch you without causing blisters. I should probably put on gloves. I want someone who still loves me after I yell at them to get off the counter. I want someone who stays after I tell them they don't belong. I want someone to tell me the film in my head is a musical and nothing real ever happens in musicals. I want someone to write a musical about battery acid that becomes the glue holding two people together. I want the battery acid leaking out of my hands to melt our skin and connect us like answered phone calls. And this is like... I don't know, maybe not the most depressing thing in the world. I don't want to say it's a happy poem, it's not. But um, I guess it's the brightest note that I can leave you on that I have. <laughs> it doesn't really have a title. I like when people say, it looks like it wants to rain. I like imagining the sky wanting something. I like to imagine the size, something the size of eternity wanting to let go of all its gray heaviness onto our heads and cars, making rivers of our gutters. I like to think the sky gets depressed on overcast days the same way we do. I like to think the sun shines for itself the way sometimes you have to put on an outfit you really like and lipstick and fake it on the outside with 80s pop hits blaring from your car speakers on your way to the job that eats up your soul like you eat your feelings. I like to think the sky needs to rally. 
maybe when the sun goes down, glowing pink and orange, it's like when someone you love looks over at you at the end of the day and says, you look really beautiful, and you wave your hand at them and say, stop. Thank you. Well, folks, that's it for this time. We want to say thank you to Tayor for making us feel nostalgic, to Monsell for serenading us, to Elliot for questioning God, and to our feature Lydia Armstrong for melting us with battery acid. If you'd like to take a part in the show, be it performer or listener, please join us every first Saturday of the month in Studio 59, Plant Zero, Richmond, Virginia. Our writing workshop begins at 5.30 p.m., the open mic and artist feature at 8.30 p.m. The Slam Richmond podcast is a production of Slam Richmond. It is edited by Tyler Grillcheese Eldred and hosted by January Garcia. Our theme music is by the wonderful Budo Fox. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and our new Facebook page, all at Slam Richmond. And feel free to share, subscribe, and leave a comment on our show. Until next time, Slam fam. Keep on writing the good right.